0: Uh, it was the 2004 Olympic Games in Athens, Greece, and there was a man, his name was Matt Emmons, who was one shot away from winning the 50-meter, three-position rifle event. Now, if you know anything about that event, I did some studying on that actual event. and It's a pretty, pretty interesting event, and it takes a lot of marksmanship, and um, basically, they scored on a scale, and all he needed to do to win was get a 7.2. Now, to put this into context, uh, before, he had nothing lower than a 9.3, so this was just a cakewalk for him. He didn't even need to hit the bullseye to win, and what happened next was described as an extremely rare mistake in elite competition, and what happened is Emmons cross-fired and killed an Olympic official. No, I'm just teasing. He did. No, I'm just teasing. I just want to see if you guys are listening. No, he didn't. He didn't do that. What happened was um, he cross-fired and he hit the wrong target. This never happens, but he just, for some reason, had a mind glitch, and he was in lane two, and he shot the target in lane three, and what's interesting, in lane three, he hit the bullseye. He hit directly smack in the middle, but what happened is because he hit the wrong target, it resulted in a zero which instead of getting the gold medal, he ended up in eighth place. Matt thought he was shooting at the right target until he got a closer look. Now, we've been discussing over the last couple of weeks what it truly means to be a follower of Christ and not someone that's just a fan or just an admirer or someone just that looks back and just kind of knows about Jesus, but we've really been talking what is it what is it what does it mean to really be a follower of Christ? Why do we come to church? why do we you know why do we do these things uh, that that church people do? Is it just churchy? is it just religious or or did really Jesus call us to follow him and I believe this illustration of uh, matt emmons is is a great illustration of what happens to a lot of people that are just kind of admirers of Jesus or, or fans of Jesus, and, and, and they may have a lot of desires and maybe even use a lot of effort, yet in reality, they're, they're actually hitting at the wrong target. And In actuality, they're aiming at the wrong target, and if we really want to understand about being a follower of Christ, we really have to understand that Jesus has to be the target, and for many uh, fans of Jesus or just admirers of Jesus, they, they follow what I would say a bunch of um, religious rules and rituals and and that 's the target they 're trying to hit, but they 're really not following jesus they 're following more a set of rules and regulations, but they 're really not following Jesus. Many would even say i 'm a follower of jesus, but but what they 're really following are these rules and and what many have done is is they 've cross fired. And they're hitting the wrong target. Let me just give you two statements here, just at the beginning of my my message here, because I really want us to understand this. Statement number one is, Jesus understood that rules could never change the heart. Jesus understood that rules could never change our hearts. Can I get an amen? Right? Those of you that grew up with a lot of rules, you just said, amen. Right? Right? Um, but Jesus understood we need to dig into this a little bit further. Let me give you the second statement that we're going to build the message around here. When rules and regulations take precedence over God's grace and love, it will be very hard for us to love Christ with all our hearts. When rules when we're aiming at, when we're cross-firing, and we're just aiming at rules and regulations, because that's the way a lot of people look at church. They're like, "Man, you know, church is just a bunch of rules and regulations, a bunch of do's and don'ts." And that's why I don't like coming to church because it just seems like they tell me what to do and what not to do, and and that just turns me off. And here's the problem: when rules and regulations take precedence over God's grace and love. It's going to be hard for us to love God with all our hearts and to understand how we're to live in obedience to the Lord. And here's, here's what I want you to see this morning. Jesus basically gave us two commandments to really focus on. Now, if you to read through the Bible, you'd understand that God gave commandments to his people to put guardrails up around their lives to keep them protected. To keep them from wandering off into areas that is going to hurt them. And we understand that sin will eventually bite us in the back, right? We understand that, that what, we, what we sow, eventually we're going to reap. And so what God does is he gives us these, these, these laws to follow, to protect us. But God knew this one thing. He knew that these laws could never save us. And he knew ultimately that these laws could never allow us to fall more in love with God unless our hearts are changed. And so what Jesus does is somebody comes up to Jesus and say, what are the two most important laws? There were 613 of them. If you broke one of them, you broke them all to show us that all of us are unholy and we could never measure up to a holy God. And so what Jesus says is he takes all these laws and he basically boils them down to two. He says, if you get these two right, you're going to be in right standing with God and you're going to understand what it truly means to follow me. So here's the reason why Jesus understood that if we could follow these two things, everything else would fall into place. So here's what Jesus says. He says in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39, Jesus replies, and he says, if you're going to follow God, here's the two things you got to remember. Here, here it is. I'm going to boil it all down for you. I'm going I'm to give you the Reader's Digest version. I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes here. Ready? Here's the Cliff Notes. Do they still have Cliff Notes today? Because really, that's all I had, because I didn't do very well in high school. Cliff Notes were my friend. Do they still have the? Raise your hand if they still have Cliff Notes. Okay, you guys don't use them because you didn't cheat like I Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, anyways. um, Here's the cliff notes. He boils it all down to to this verse. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus replies, Love the Lord your God with what? All your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, The word love there literally means to be loyal, to be devoted, to adore. Now, this is the same verbiage, it's the same words that Paul uses in Ephesians chapter 5 to describe the love a husband should have, husbands should have for their wives. Now I want you to notice something about these verses. Notice that Jesus never says anything about rules. The target wasn't the rules, but rather The relationship. (laughs) This is where we get it mixed up as Christians. This is where we get it mixed up as followers. We think the target is the rules. If I can just get a gold star on my forehead for being a good boy and a good girl, Jesus is going to be happy with me. But how many know we always make mistakes? That we're always going to mess up. And if we walk our Christian walk trying to live up to all these standards and these rules and these regulations, how many know we're all going to be miserable failures eventually? And we're going to do something or, 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 right? If you're a good rule keeper, somebody else saddles up next to you who's a better rule keeper than you. And then you compare yourself to them and say, wait a minute. They're a lot better at doing this than me. And then you condemn yourself because you don't feel like you're better than the next person. Well, what Jesus does here, he doesn't make the rules as the target, but he makes the relationship with him as the target. Jesus knew that if we would be devoted to him and we would obey him and love him, this wouldn't come out of a sense of obligation or guilt, but driven by what Christ has already done for us. So what transforms us is the love of God in Christ. Jesus transforms the heart, which translates into changed behavior, not the other way around. See, we think in order to come to Christ, we've got to do all the changing. We've got to act right. We've got to talk right. We've got to change all our behavior, right? But Jesus says, no, just the opposite. He goes, you come to me just as you are. Allow me to transform your heart, and then the fruit of that is going to be changed behavior. The fruit of that is going to be a change in the way we want to become obedient to God, not driven by rules and an obligation to serve him, but driven out of the love that God has for me. Um, Kathleen and I, we celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary last June. Woohoo! And so what we did was we watched our wedding video from 1990. Now, I had the mullet thing working. It was great, man. My hair was like, I couldn't, I mean, I just had this lustrous hair out to here, right? And uh, now it's all gray. And uh, uh, so we looked at it, and I hadn't looked at it in year, I mean, probably 25 years. I don't remember the last time I looked at it. So we wrote our own wedding vows. And so I was listening to this and it was kind of cool. And, you know, I basically in the vows, you know, I talked about my devotion to her, my love for her. Um, you know, I, I talked about, you know, how much, you know, I loved her and so on and so forth. And, and basically what was neat about our vows together, it wasn't really a list of rules because if, if we were to list all these rules together in our vows about what we were going to do for each other, it would have sucked the joy out of the ceremony. But in my vows, I told Kithen I'd love her and I'd be there for her, for better, or for you know, health and sickness and blah, blah, You know all that stuff. Okay, so anyways, um, you know, I committed myself to her. And, and, and I, I, I committed myself uh, to not comment on her cooking unless it was positive. Right? right, In my vows, I said, um, I will always tell her that she looks nice when she says, how do these jeans look on me? Right? Men, come on, men. I will slap you silly if you don't comment positively on your wife. I will hurt you. Okay? So don't even do that. Um, I, I promised to leave the toilet seat down. You know? I promised all these things. Now, many of you have broke that vow. I broke that vow once and learn quickly never to do it again. So anyways, um, so you see, what makes my devotion to Kathleen joyful? It's not because of all the the do's and those things that you have to do. Um, here's the difference. I do them because I love her and I want to serve her. I, I want to be faithful to her because I love her and I made a vow to her. Not because there's a bunch of rules and regulations that are over my head, not because we have a marriage license, it's because I love her and I devoted myself to her. That's the relationship that Jesus desires to have with us. See, it amazes me, listen, 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 it amazes me when love gets tossed out the window, how rules take the forefront. You don't do this and you don't do that, right? Right? It's amazing how rules all of a sudden take the forefront. It happens in marriages, it happens in the church, it happens in our relationship with Jesus. Now, what Jesus is trying to get across is this. It's his grace and his love that actually frees us and causes us to live in obedience to him. And live in right relationship with one another. Can I get a big amen? That, that's what causes us to live in obedience. Not because God is holding a bunch of rules and regulations over our head, which causes us to live in obedience to him. It's his love towards us that drives us to want to serve him, to want to be obedient and do the right thing. So let, let me frame, let me frame uh, Jesus's comments here uh, in the proper context. Because when Jesus boils down all these commandments and he says, love the Lord your God and Love your neighbors, yourself. Let me give you the context because this will give us a better understanding um, in, 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 in the environment that he was speaking this. Now, here, here's what happens. Here's what happens. Jesus gives these verses in response to a question that was posed to him. Jesus was right in the midst of one of the biggest rule keepers of all times. The religious at that time didn't take kindly to Jesus. They were always trying to make Jesus look bad and make him look like a fool. Two major groups that were very religious, that were trying to make Jesus look foolish at that time, that Jesus is speaking to, were the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. Now, now let me explain the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The best way to remember the Pharisees is this. They were very prideful, and that is why they thought of themselves as fair I see. There's actually a children's church song with that that I will not sing to you right now, okay? But it was it's a good song. Um, I was going to sing it, but I'm not, okay? So, fair, I see. They were very prideful in their rules and regulations. Now, the Sadducees, they were very sad, you see, because they were very prideful in their wealth, in their status. So, the Sadducees were these aristocrats and they did not relate very well with the common man. They were very political. They were very conservative. They would, they would, uh, they would use the word of God. They believed in the word of God, parts of it. Uh, they kept it as an authoritative word, but they denied the resurrection of the dead and they denied the afterlife. And that's why they were sad, you see. Okay. Now the Pharisees, on the other hand, They related more to the common man. Uh, They did hold to the authority of the word word of God. But here's what their stumbling block was. They also held to oral traditions. And they would put their oral traditions on the same level as the word of God. Evolving over centuries, they would add to God's word. And they became obsessed with rules, rules, and more rules. And so the way they dictated their righteousness... By was, is by how all the rules they followed and wanted other people to follow. They differed, the Pharisees differed from the Sadducees in that they believed in the resurrection and the afterlife. Now, what brought these two groups who seemed very opposite together? Well, what brought these two groups, the Sadducees and the Pharisees together, was their dislike and hatred towards Jesus. Isn't it interesting how these two people came together in their hatreds towards Jesus. They didn't like what he was doing. They were, he was rocking the boat. And so this is the setting for Jesus' response. Both groups are testing Jesus. They don't really care about Jesus. They don't like that he's getting um, a following and, and disputing um, things that they're saying and, and kind of poking at their lives. And so what the Pharisees do is they send their big guns to question Jesus. So what they do is they send a lawyer. Now, this is not Shapiro and Shapiro. This is not the heavy hitters. This is not Salino and Barnes. This is not hurt in a car call. Okay. This lawyer was an expert in the law of God found in the Old Testament. He was the big gun. If anybody is going to put Jesus down and put him in his place, it's the scribes. It's this lawyer. So the lawyer comes to Jesus He does not really care anything about Jesus. uh, But the Bible says that he comes to Jesus to test him. Now, what the Pharisees did is they loved to get together and they would love to discuss which are the greatest commandments, which are the lesser. They would love to go round and round and debate about all these things. Now, Jesus' answer to them was absolutely beautiful. And what Jesus does is he boils everything down to your relationship with God and your relationship to others. This is the most important commandment. So what's the problem with the Pharisees? What was the problem with the Pharisees in general? Well, here's the problem. They were more in love with their rules than God. They were more in love with setting rules and usurping rules and placing rules over other people than God. They cared more about everyone else obeying their rules than having people fall in love with God. And Jesus had some very choice words for religious people. Now, everybody thinks, oh, Jesus is just so nice. And we see pictures of him walking around with a lamb around his shoulder, right? I'm going to read some scriptures to you today that are going to give you a little bit different side of Jesus and the way he deals with people who try to usurp their authority and their rule keeping over others to keep them from knowing God and loving God. Is everybody with me? Okay, I'm gonna hide behind here because this is where it's gonna kind of whoo right here, okay? Me included, okay? So so here's what happens. They cared more about trying to make the Son of God look like a fool look like a fool than actually knowing the Son of God. Now, let me be real honest with you this morning. I'm gonna be brutally honest. I have seen more people separate or break relationships in the church over the silliest things. Things that, in the end of the day, don't really matter. In our fight to be right, in the end, we end up destroying relationships. And that is exactly the Pharisees' issues. They wanted everyone that, that, that to follow them. And if you didn't play in their reindeer games, you were out. And so what they began to do is it began to, to put people in bondage. And people began to hate religious things because it was like, I can't do it. And then Jesus comes along and says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden and burdened. Come to me and I will give you what? I'll give you rest. Who is he speaking that verse to? Those that couldn't do the religious things. Those that couldn't meet the standards Of the religious people of that day. That's who Jesus is speaking to. Those of you that feel like giving up on church. Those of you that feel like you can't do it. Those of you feel like there's so many rules. And you feel like just a failure. He goes come to me first. Let me give you rest for your soul. For your soul. So here's the issue with them. They wanted everyone to follow their rules. And here's the issue. Jesus is saying this, do you love God? Do you love people or do you love your rules more? Jesus is saying this. He says, do you love God? Do you love people or do you love your rules more? Sometimes we come across as Christians with loving our rules more than God or more than people. Now, let me point to my, I'll use myself as an illustration. Um, My son plays football and we play other schools. And the game yesterday, you were right on the field, right? So when you're playing another school, uh, my son goes, you know, he, he goes to a Christian school. The coach tries to do a real good job with the boys and their language and so on and so forth. And uh, you could hear everything on the other sideline from the coach, from the players. There was more four-letter words floating around that, that day. And like, woo ho, Lily, come here, let me play, Right? And inside of me, inside of me, I started thinking, man, get me on the mic and say, what's the language? (laughs) Especially you, coach. You say it one more time. You know, I started getting a little self-righteous, right? Here's the thing. God caught me. God caught me. He said, Barden, Barden, are you more in love with your rules and wanting people to follow your rules, or realize that's a soul that I died for. They need to know me. They need to know me. You can't. You can't change someone from the outside in. I've got to change them from the inside out. Are you hearing me? Loud and clear to my ear. Now, you know. Now, still, I'm still plugging Lily's ear. Ear, regardless, right? But how many times have we looked at the world and we've judged them and we prejudge them and we try to usurp our rules on someone whose heart has not changed yet? God has to do the changing. We have to be more in love with God and people and, them and God changing their hearts than hammering, hammering some rule over their head that they're not there yet. So here, here, here let, let's, 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 let's look at what Jesus says here about this. So here's Jesus' rebuke to the religious people, to the Pharisees. This is what he says. To them. Are you ready? Here's the other side of Jesus that no one seems to talk about too much. But here it is. Are you ready? Jesus says this. This is Jesus. Jesus speaking these words. This is how much he is against this. Matthew twenty three twenty three. This is what he says to them. What sorrow awaits you, teacher of religious law, and you Pharisees? Hypocrites! Exclamation point. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income of your herb garden, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. He said, yeah, you should tithe. That's important. You're giving it to God, but do not neglect the more important things. Now I'm going to go a little bit further in just a minute on how Jesus even speaks more harshly to this religious. But let, let, let me kind of bring it home this way. We need to be careful that our hearts are centered towards people and their souls and not so much about the rule keeping. And ever, is everybody going to get into my box? Here's, here, here's a good point. Um, you could be driving to church, which is a good thing. Come to church. All you came to church on Sunday morning. You're all going to get a gold star for your forehead as you walk out the door today. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it's great. You came to church. I'm so glad you came to church. Here's the thing. We may sit there and we're like, okay, I got to get to church. It's, it's 8 o'clock. I want to be there by 830. How many know it's good to come to church and to be on time? Amen? Yeah. It's good to come to church and be on time. Okay? Good. Just, just saying, okay? Amen. Okay. Come to church. And, okay. Anyway. But let's say you see someone and you're walking, you park your car and you're like, "Oh, it's 8:29 and I know they got that countdown thing and I hate that countdown thing because it always reminds me that I'm late, right? That's why we have the countdown thing. So anyways, so I know the countdown's going, it's 8 and I got to run in and you're trying to make it to church and all of a sudden you see someone and they're in the parking lot and they may be sitting in their car and they are crying. And you know, "Oh, man, something's wrong with that person. They're in their car and they're crying." But man, I, I got to get into church. I can't be late, right? I can't, I can't be late. And, and so what we, w- w- there's a struggle to say, is it more important that I'm here and, okay, I got on time, or is it more important to minister to that person that's hurting? See, what's more important to God? What, what shows more of our love for God that we got here on time, which is important, we should get here on time, but what's more important to God is that you minister to someone that's hurting that maybe needs someone to pray with them. That shows more of our love for God. That's what, that's what God, that's what Jesus is trying to say to the Pharisees. Listen, it's good that you do these things, but you're totally neglecting mercy and faith and caring for people. You're missing out on something that I'm calling you to do. See what really shows your love for God is how we reach out to someone who's hurting. Now, what Jesus did, he completely exposed the heart of the religious at the time. Now, Jesus says later on in Matthew 23, he says this to them, to the Pharisees, to the religious. Are you ready? This, this isn't pretty. This is what he says. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites? He said it again. He says, for you are like whitewashed tombs beautiful on the outside but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity outwardly you look you look like righteous people but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness now do you think they liked what he was saying do you think he made a lot of friends there right i don't think he read dale carnegie's book how to influence people right i don't think jesus got the memo on that one right Mm-mm. He's calling it for what it is. He's calling it for what it is. You see, here's what Jesus says Rules can make us look righteous. Look at what I do and look at what I don't do. But meanwhile, if we're not careful, my heart is cold and my relationships can be broken. So, my rule keeping, listen closely, my rule keeping lets everyone around me know what I stand for and what I'm against. Yet my marriage can be in a wreck and my kids don't respect me or they don't know that I love them. That's where we have to be careful. See, so then we say, well, pastor, what about the rules? They're in there, right? They tell us what to do and how to live holy lives. Well, Jesus wasn't tossing rules out the window, And letting us know that you can do anything you want. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is we can't allow rules to trump our relationship with God. That has to be the thing that's driving us to follow and obey God. You see, I can give my kids a bunch of rules to follow. But if they don't realize I love them, then it's it's a bunch of meaningless rules, right? They've got to know that I love them. And there's a reason why I want to protect them. There's a reason why I'm setting up a standard in our house. It's because I love them and I want to protect them. Amen? So so there is a place for that. I love what Kyle Eidelman says here. He says, this is really hard. This This is a tough quote. But listen, he says, when our kids grow up and they define Christianity as keeping a moral code instead of defining Christianity as being a follower of Christ, then they will walk away from both. That's tough. You see, Christianity must be defined by following Jesus. You see, for me as a father with three kids, one in college, I want gospel-loving kids. See, what are we saved by? Is it the rules or by God's grace? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. You see, here's the thing. Guilt never works. Jesus didn't use guilt to get us to follow him. But don't we use it all the time? <laughs> we do, don't we? Would God like that? God isn't happy with you. God likes good boys and girls, right? We do it. I do it. I do it as a parent. But see, I want my children to love Christ and follow him because they understand the gospel story that Jesus came and died for sinners. That God demonstrates his love towards us that while we're still sinners and far away from God, Jesus still died for us. I want them to understand that Jesus comes for lost people, broken people, hurting people, people that don't have it together, people that are messed up, people that are dysfunctional, people that aren't perfect. That's who Jesus came for. And when I realize the depths of what Jesus did for me, for him being perfect... And every way and being the son of God and being God and when I realize that that's the gospel message when that drives my heart it humbles me not to look at the world in a pious way and look how I'm better than everybody but to realize people are lost and they need Jesus see the gospel message is what transforms us not rules and regulations and if we try to mandate rules or guilt for our kids to follow then they're going to resent God and they're going to resent even coming to church See, what's the result of guilt? Well, we end up getting a bunch of people that become followers of religion and not Christ. There was a story, and let me finish with this. There was a story in, in the book, Not a Fan, and it really gripped my heart. Now, let, let, me, let me preface this by saying this isn't always the case, but for this dad, he had to really look into his heart and life and how he was raising his his kids. And I'm not saying this is always the case. Because how many of you know our children can grow up and they make their own choices. And and no matter how hard we try and, and, and try to get them to serve the Lord. Sometimes they just make their own choices. And that's just the way it is. But for this dad, there was something that really broke his heart. And it's something that he had to discover within his own life. And the way he was raising his kids. This man was broken hearted. For this reason, he came to discover that his daughter walked away from her faith after going to college. Now, what's interesting about this man is that he didn't blame the church. He didn't ask the pastor what went wrong. And he really wasn't looking for an explanation. Instead, with just one sentence, he put his finger on what he thought might have happened. And once again, let me say, this isn't always the case. Once again, our... Our kids can make their own choices as they grow up. But for this man, this is what he felt. And with this one statement, this is what he said. He said, we raised her in church, but we didn't raise her in Christ. We raised her to look right on the outside, but didn't teach her about the inside. We taught her to keep all the rules, but... She never really had a relationship. We made her feel guilty for the wrong thing she did, but somehow we missed God's amazing grace. We taught her to be a fan of Jesus instead of following Jesus. Now, do we need guardrails? Do we need to guard our heart? Do, do we do we need guardrails for our kids? Yes, yes. Do we need to know what we believe? Yes, 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 yes. I, I Amen to, to all that. However... Here's what Jesus was getting to. Jesus, a heart that is tender to Christ is a heart that will follow me. And my prayer for every single one of you and my prayer for my kids is that the Lord would keep us tender. That the reason for serving God is to love God. I read through Psalms 119 this morning and all through that psalm, talked about the psalmist's love for God's word. Not just to read it, to be religious, but to read it to know it. To read it to know God. See, the Bible is not just a list of do's and don'ts of what you're not supposed to do, and you're like, man, this stuff. The Bible actually... Is God's love letter to every single one of us to show us, this is what I'm doing for you. This is how I want you to understand me. This is how I want to know you. This is what I've done. You, every, you re-. What I love about the Bible is that it shows everybody's mistakes. It doesn't try to whitewash any of it. Isn't that amazing? I can relate to this because I'm a mess up, amen? You can say amen to that, it's okay. My wife will be in the second service and she'll say it the loudest, right? So all my kids. Um, but we are. And, and the Bible is written us to show us our way back to God's heart. That even though we've rebelled against God, even though we deserve hell, even though we deserve uh, punishment, God says, I love you so much that I'm going to buy you back. And I'm going to send my one and only son to die a horrific death, who, who he doesn't deserve it, to die in your place. So that you can know me again and restore that broken relationship so that you don't have any eternity apart from me in hell. But actually, I'm going to give you the gift of eternal life that you would live for me and that I'm going to forgive all your sins. That's how much you love. And so for me, the way I responded to the gospel message as a 16-year-old, it was like, oh, I get it now. I get it now. It's It's not all these do's and don'ts and try to fit into some religious system. It's having a relationship with Jesus, a personal relationship with him that he says, Barton, I want to get to know you. And I know all your flaws, but yet I'm going to still receive you. And my grace is going to save you. So what makes me want to obey God? What makes me want to do the correct thing? What makes me want to live a life that's holy unto the Lord? What, what, What checks my language, right? What checks my behavior? It's not all the rules and regulations. It's my love for the Lord because I don't want to disrupt that relationship. I, I, don't, I, don't, I, I don't desire those things anymore, not because they're hanging over my head. It's because I want to know him more. What, what keeps my relationship pure with my wife is I don't want to disrupt that love relationship that we have together. So I'm going to be faithful to her because I love her. I actually, I love her. And I want to be faithful, not because I have a marriage license, not because I made some vows 25 years ago, which are not all important, but I love her and I want to serve her and, and I want to keep that relationship strong. That's how Christ wants to have that relationship with you. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So rules, guardrails, the commandments are there to protect us. So that we don't drift away from God. How many of you know we all need expectations? We all need to know, you know, our kids. If, if especially if they're young, if you don't tell them what to do, how many know they're just going to go hog wild, right? You just got to tell. Hey, here's the reason why, and it's because I love you. How many of you would just let your kids run across 104 when they're five years old? You wouldn't, right? It'd be crazy. Oh, do what you want, little Johnny. I love you. Do what you want. Run across 104. At five o'clock traffic. I love you. But just run right across here because I... No! You're going to grab them. You're going you're to protect them because you know they could die if they did that, right? It's because you love them. That's the reason why you put the guardrails up around them for not doing that. And how many know that God disciplines those he loves? Amen. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to close. And we're going to sing Amazing Grace. And, and I know everybody knows this song. We sing, you know, we, it's just a, such a well-known hymn. But I want you to sing it this time with a different heart. Because how many know when you say the Lord's Prayer, something that you've sung over and over again, how many know it just gets mundane and you just sing the words and it's like, okay, I sang that song, good. I can leave now. I want you to sing it in a different way. I want you to sing it with a heart that's been changed by God's grace. That's where the heartbeat of this whole song is. It's a heartbeat that God, you saved me by your amazing. I was lost, now I'm fine, found, I'm a wretch. You found me, you saved me, you've changed my heart. It's a changed relationship. It's not about the rules and regulations. It's about a changed heart, a changed relationship that by God's grace, we are saved. So let's stand and let me pray for you. And uh, the worship team's gonna come. And we're going to sing this in closing today. And we're going to sing it unto the Lord as changed hearts and lives that Christ did for us. So let me pray for you. Lord, I just thank you for your word. I thank you, Jesus, that you came for souls. Not just, to, not, not just to lay a bunch of rules and regulations on us, Lord. You came to fulfill the law for us that we couldn't fulfill ourselves. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak to every heart. And as we sing this wonderful wonderful great hymn of the church that god we would realize that we are saved by your amazing grace that we didn't earn that we don't deserve that we have never merited because of ourselves every single one of us are in the same boat in this place today we all are sinners that need a savior and so lord i pray that you would change hearts and lives today that we would come to you and come to your amazing grace, that we would fall in love with your word more deeply, that we would want to read it, that we would want to know you, not because we have to or we are obligated, but because we love you, because we're serving you out of a heart of gratitude, of a, of a, of a life that has been changed because of your amazing grace.